0: A quick warning, this episode will include descriptions and discussion of sexual violence and rape. This is a Vault Studios production. I'm Reed Redmond. I'm Will Johnson. The show contains graphic material and is meant for mature audiences. This week on
1: True Crime Chronicles.
0: When you are incapacitated, that is a crime.
2: When you can't consent, that is a crime.
1: For him to not have been questioned, he's able to be identified... To me, that's troubling.
2: There were a number of women that came forward, and the one thing they all had in common was not just the fact that they were reporting that they were raped, they were reporting they were violated. They were reporting that they were not being treated properly by authorities. And I've gone through six years of just waiting.
0: In 2015, a woman in Cherokee County, Georgia, reported to police that she'd been raped, that she knew the man who did it, and that she had video evidence.
2: She gave them everything she had, and she said to me, she thought it was an open and shut case.
0: But six years later, when 11 Alive investigative reporter Kristen Crowley began looking into the case, it was still unsolved. A spokesperson for the sheriff's office said, quote, investigators have been unable to obtain any physical evidence or corroborating witness testimony that would provide probable cause for arrest.
2: They, The police department or the sheriff's office was saying they could not prove where these videos were taken. And it was a vicious cycle. It was a matter of, okay, you may not be able to prove it, but why don't you ask the person who's being accused and maybe he will tell you, and then you don't need to prove it, which is exactly what we did and they didn't. And so that was a level of... Them not doing the work, them not putting in the work. They, again, they wanted some kind of smoking gun. For a murder, it's really easy. You find the murder weapon, you know, it It doesn't matter whether you have somebody coming forward. It doesn't matter whether you have video evidence. You've got, you've got the weapon, and now you start working from there. In this case, there is no smoking gun when it comes to rapes, and they are difficult to prosecute and to find evidence for, but it's like sometimes officers want this mountain of... In, irrefutable evidence. And that's just not likely in rape cases. And it's very easy to dismiss a rape case to say, well, there's not enough evidence because they fear it's a he said, she said crime. When also in reality, even if that's all you have, even if all you have is a woman coming forward saying this man raped me and a man saying I didn't, you can still prosecute that person. You could still bring charges and go to court. And so the fact that it was... Saying a lack of evidence, that it didn't sit well with us because they were asking, it seemed like, for the world in order to prosecute this case, and they didn't need that.
0: The Cherokee County Sheriff's Office, the investigating agency on the case, said they couldn't locate the man to bring him in for questioning, that he may have fled the state. But Kristen Crowley was able to get a hold of him within a matter of days. And not only did the man tell her he was still in the county, but he also said he'd just been pulled over by the same department that had been saying they were looking for him.
2: And when I asked Cherokee County about this, they got very defensive initially. And they said, well, this isn't our fault. There was no warrant out for his arrest. Our deputy couldn't have possibly known that we wanted to speak with him, Which to which I countered, if you want to speak to somebody, don't you have something in your system to alert people that if one of your deputies encounters this person that you are seeking to question in a very violent crime that they will know they've come across this person. And they just, it was very very combative when I spoke to Cherokee initially about this. They were very defensive about this. And again, this is back in June, May or June, that um, we were having this conversation over the phone because they refused to speak to me on camera. Um, And they thought they did nothing wrong
0: When you are incapacitated, that is a crime. When you can't consent, that is a crime. Jennifer Bivens, the president and CEO of GANESA, or the Georgia Network to End Sexual Assault, told Kristen Crowley she didn't know why this was taking so long, what investigators could be waiting for.
2: Bivens could barely hide her frustrations as we showed her emails we obtained from open records about this case. They've got the freaking video! Like, what else more do you need? And she was about as frustrated as I was after I had been looking into this case. She could not comprehend why this man had not been brought in for questioning, and that—that's where really the whole crux, of the problem came in. A lot of this for this for this story and for this investigation is it seemed like a very simple step was just not taken, and because that step wasn't taken, the other steps to pursue this case weren't able to come to fruition. Kristen
0: and the reveal team at 11 Alive decided to take a closer look at clearance rates of rape cases in Cherokee County. And what they found is that from 2015 to 2020, the Cherokee County Sheriff's Office investigated 220 rapes. Officially, it cleared or solved 168 of them. That's a 78% clearance rate, which sounds pretty good until you learn that the department only arrested 36 suspects. That only covers 16% of the cases. When they kept digging, they learned 39% of the cases were closed after being ruled unfounded. And another 20 were closed citing something called exceptional clearance.
2: An Exceptional clearance essentially is a tool that police can use to close a case without making an arrest. And they're only supposed to use it when a suspect has fled the country, is in custody in another jurisdiction for another crime, has died, and in some cases, really only in rape cases, if the victim will not cooperate or the prosecutor refuses to press charges.
0: Kristen Crowley shared all of this data with the CEO of Ganesa.
2: And so when we showed her, the the CEO of Ganesa, that, you know, not only has this man— essentially looked like he's gotten away with a crime. But this is kind of a pattern, at least in Cherokee County, where we're seeing more cases are closed with exceptional clearance than they are with arrests, more rape cases. And she said to me, well, what that tells me, I guess if you're a rapist, come on down to Georgia. I guess if you're a rapist, you come on to Georgia because,
0: um, you know, we're not prosecuting folks here. It's what that says to me. And that is scary for
2: our community. And that really stuck with me, too, because... I mean, she's right. Exceptional clearance also, you have to know the suspect. You have to know that there is a suspect in the case and identify a suspect. So that means in all of these exceptional clearance cases out of Cherokee County and every other jurisdiction for that matter, the suspect is known. They know who it is. And that person is just walking free because they decide not to pursue a case.
0: Kristen also brought this woman's case to a criminology professor at Georgia State University. Thaddeus Johnson.
2: Thaddeus Johnson was also a retired police officer. He used to work for the Memphis Police Department. And he, to be quite honest, he was very shocked when I brought this case to him because he felt just like the CEO of Ganesa, like, I don't understand why this person wasn't brought in for questioning because that would lead to a lot of other answers that this department is looking
1: for. For him to not have been questioned, he's able to be identified, to me, that's troubling.
2: Criminology professor Thaddeus Johnson says he thinks authorities have probable cause, and not bringing the man in for questioning could put others at risk.
1: He's done this to one person, and again, allegedly done this to one person. He could allegedly do this to someone else. Uh, He moves it like a predator moves. He doesn't move like... He wasn't moving like a person's first time.
2: And he kind of imparted the knowledge on me a little bit more about exceptional clearance and the fact that exceptional clearance should be used rarely.
1: It kind of gives a false illusion that we're doing a better job of solving these cases than we really are. In policing, in police leadership, what we care about are numbers. So we care about public safety, don't get me wrong. But at that level, it's about numbers because funding goes along with it, credibility goes along with it. The exceptional clearance allows prosecutors and departments Uh, to be able to satisfy those statistical or those numbers without being held accountable to follow all the way through with the investigation.
2: How often should exceptional clearance be used? Is this something that would be considered a rare tool for police? It should be. We discovered that it's not used rarely. In fact, it was used more often than people were being arrested, than than, uh, causes for arrest and It was um, the only thing that police were doing more was labeling rape cases unfounded, which is a problem in and of itself and something that actually I'm working on another story in the moment about doing a more in-depth issue on that. But yeah, I mean, the exceptional clearance issue uh, is a serious issue. And Thaddeus was really clear about the fact that this is something that police should not rely on just to get a case closed. What are we doing? You know, like what is happening? Why this is this is the situation at hand. There is something systemically going on. And it's it's up to us to advocate for ourselves because no one else is going to.
0: As her case sat unsolved for over six years, the woman who brought the videos to the Cherokee County Sheriff's Office continued pushing for more to be done, hoping her case wouldn't end up being another exceptional clearance.
2: She did a few things. She got an attorney, and then she also enrolled in law school. So she's on her way to becoming attorney herself. And she's also very involved in advocate groups that that deal with people who are survivors of rape and sexual assault. So she, when she got her attorney involved, she had her attorney reach out to the district attorney and say, what is going on with this? Why is nothing happening with this? And, and I even spoke with the district attorney about this too. And the district attorney said that she had faith in the sheriff's office. There were a lot of good people working there. And, but she also said that there wasn't much she could do on her end. They have to do the investigation and then she has to bring the charges or the indictment. So it really, it seemed like kind of our hands are tied sort of thing from the DA's office. But there was definitely pressure being put on the DA and on the county sheriff's office from this woman and her attorney. It just wasn't, enough to make them really take any action toward this case.
0: When Kristen spoke to this woman last year, Kristen asked if, after all of this time, the woman felt like justice was still on the table.
2: She told me, I don't know what justice looks like anymore. And I wasn't really surprised to hear her say that because after I had spoken to her for the interview, we had been talking for 45 minutes, and you could just tell in her face And in the way she spoke, she felt defeated. And she felt like no one has listened to me for years. I'm trying to come to terms with that and move on with my life. And at this point, you know, he should have been arrested five, six years ago when I first reported this, that would have been justice. So now I don't even know what to do anymore. I just want to move on with my life. And I think that she was also, not that she was skeptical, of of us, but I think she wasn't trying to get her hopes up that the news would actually make a difference because nobody had made a difference in all this time. And she had ample evidence, far more evidence than most rape victims ever have.
0: But after Kristen Crowley's investigation went on air in June of 2021, things started to change.
2: So after we had the phone conversation with the man, we put the story on the air. And it was within that week the sheriff's office was reaching out to me and asking me for a copy of that phone conversation. And the woman had reached out to me and saying that they told her if they had that phone conversation, that then it was likely they could actually make an arrest in this case.
0: Eleven Alive had posted the full conversation online and directed the sheriff's office to that video.
2: So they took that recorded phone conversation. They went to a judge. They got a warrant for the man's arrest. They arrested him. They charged him with rape. We have new details tonight on an 11alive reveal investigation that resulted in a man's arrest for rape. I now have a copy of the arrest warrant detailing how our investigation was able to put him behind bars. And they noted in the warrant and in the um, in the criminal complaint that the phone conversation with the news, was the impetus for getting this man arrested because he had admitted not just to making those recordings, but to where those recordings had happened. So we essentially, our investigation and our conversation with that man is what led to this case finally leading to an arrest.
0: The woman who first brought the videos to police received the news she'd been waiting on, for more than six years.
2: She was just in shock. She just couldn't believe, I can't believe they actually did it. They actually got him. And she felt relief. And she felt, I think, justified finally that all of this time that she had come forward and been making noise and saying things that she was finally listened to. And all the work that she had done in these last five, six years weren't for nothing. And I think that was, it's funny when I look back and I asked her, what does justice look like for you? Yes, she wants to see this man prosecuted. She wants to see him punished, but she wanted to feel vindicated too that I'm not this crazy person. I didn't make this up. I wasn't just blowing smoke up Cherokee Sheriff's offices. You know, I I was coming forward with an issue and I wasn't heard, and now I've finally been heard. And I think that that really resonated with her. If you hadn't told your story to us, where do you think this case would have gone? Um, I would probably still be um, eons behind where I am now, I think. Um, You guys have really allowed me to have a voice where I didn't feel like anyone was listening. The court is listening now. The man, whom we're not naming unless he's indicted, is in jail. Potentially marking the beginning of the end of this woman's six year ordeal.
0: Something else has happened since 11 Alive's investigation aired. Other women have reached out to Kristen Crowley with similar stories.
2: After we did our very first investigation about this issue in Cherokee County, we started getting a handful of emails from people saying, They either experienced the same thing or they knew somebody who had experienced the same thing. And the first one that I had was a mother who came forward saying that this had happened to her daughter, that her daughter had been raped at a party. And not only that, but that they had connected with another young woman who reported she was raped at the same house, different party, by the same person. Both were reported to Cherokee County. Both never resulted in an arrest. And so you had two women who didn't know each other who say they were raped at the same house by the same person. And there was never an arrest.
0: A second woman came forward saying she had been sexually assaulted during a massage at a business in Cherokee County.
2: And in this case, we actually had evidence showing the police did not take her seriously. We had a recording of the officer going to the spa And basically making excuses for why she reported the sexual assault and telling the suspect, I don't think you did this. You know, be careful where your hands travel. Sometimes people, you don't know what they've been through in the past. They may, you know, think something happened, but it really didn't happen. So just be careful.
3: I would just say... Be careful mm-hmm. going forward where your arms travel yeah. <laughs> because some of the, some young women come in, you don't know what their background is if they've been assaulted before. Yeah, yeah. You know, sometimes Sometimes they can make up something yeah. in their mind or yeah. they can think something that didn't happen and yeah. they'll be convinced that it happened.
2: And he laughs and that was it. And that was traumatizing for this woman to hear as well because not only does she say, I've been sexually violated, now she feels like the people who are there to protect her are laughing about her. And totally dismissing her. It made me so hurt and so angry because it sounds like he is telling them, she's just making this up. Just be careful where your hands are going.
0: And there was yet another story.
2: And then the last woman was a woman. She said that she had been raped years ago, but she and she believed she had been drinking and she believes that her drink had been spiked, and she was with a friend who had blacked out who she also believes their drink had been spiked, the friend said as much as well, and she believed she was raped, and she had a past history with drug use, and she believed that police were not taking her seriously. So there were a number of women that came forward, and the one thing they all had in common was not just the fact that they were reporting that they were raped, they were reporting they were violated, they were reporting that they were not being treated properly by authorities, that authorities were dismissive, that authorities kind of admonished them, made them feel like it was either their fault or that they were making it up. And it was just this pattern from the very same things that the first woman was saying, this pattern of feeling not believed.
0: Eventually, Kristen Crowley got an opportunity to bring all of these accusations directly to the Cherokee County Sheriff's Office.
2: I did. I played a number of, Sound bites, essentially, for the department when they finally agreed to talk to me. It was so traumatizing. I was in therapy. It was like every time I got an email, it was just this breaking of my spirit. And I said to them, these, these are what women are saying about you. It's not just that they were traumatized by their alleged rape and sexual assaults. They're saying they're traumatized by the people in your department. Now, what they said at that point was... That their door is always open and they're always here, you know, to to talk to somebody. And if people have a complaint, they can go up to higher command. Which is, you know, I think a, a pretty standard thing to say. And I think that I mean it was pretty clear, Captain Anderson was one of the people I was speaking to in that interview. He was the one who told me. In that email, in the very first case that we have exhausted all of our options, we we investigate to the fullest extent, and there was nothing more to do. Well, clearly there was. So I think there was this tendency to just kind of, you know, you de- you defend your coworkers and your colleagues, and and I think there was also a, a belief in him that he truly believed that that they were doing all this work, but it wasn't until our reporting and our questioning that they realized they made mistakes, which they admitted. So the, the real epiphany came, I think, when they said, you know what, we made mistakes, we own that, I own that, and here's what we're going to do about it. Being honest with you and going back and looking at the first story that you did, that first case, we made some mistakes.
0: And, and we own that, I own that. And going forward,
3: um, you know, we can always do better.
2: And then they, they went on to say that they were going to implement new training because, for example, that man who went to the spa and was telling, was laughing, I mean, those are things that police officers should not be doing. That is not how you should be conducting a case that is involving sexual assault or rape. So they were gonna invest in new training. They were also going to implement new policies and procedures because before our reporting, no policies or procedures specific to rape and sexual assault cases existed. So that's on the books now for them. And the biggest one for for the immediacy and for, for the women that I interviewed was that they were going to take a historic look back on every single rape and sexual assault case within the statute of limitations and take another look at those cases to make sure that they were investigated to the fullest extent and that there, if there can be an arrest made, there will be.
1: And once these processes are in place, take a historic look at of our cases that we still have statute
0: of limitations on and reevaluate those historic cases to right any wrongs that may have been committed in the past.
2: So you're gonna essentially do an audit of all these past sexual assault cases and rape cases?
0: Yes. That historical review will include all of the cases from the women who came forward to share their stories with Eleven Alive.
2: I think all the women were happy to hear Cherokee say, we made a mistake and make a promise that they are going to change. But they're also skeptical because they've heard things from police before that things that they're going to do and that they don't follow up on. And I think it's really hard to believe when somebody has, you know, burned you once, I think that you kind of have your guard up a little bit and it's more of a we'll believe it when we see it sort of approach
0: Kristen Crowley has continued to follow up on this and when she spoke with the sheriff's office in February, they said the new policies and procedures were already in place and that training and case audits were going to start soon
2: something that we're still keeping an eye on because we know that it's we know that watchdog journalism is really important. And if we just said, okay, great, you said you're going to do this, that's that's awesome, bye, see you later, um, probably a lot of things would not get followed up on, and and a lot of people would not follow through on promises. So we want to make sure they follow through on that promise as well, and we are keeping a close eye on this.
3: For True Crime Chronicles, I'm Will Johnson, along with Reed Redman. Reed, just a few questions to wrap up this Episode of True Crime Chronicles, the second part of this story. We heard Kristen Crowley talk about this label that police use called exceptional clearance. First off, can you clarify the relationship between that data and this case specifically?
0: Yeah. So, as I mentioned earlier in the episode, this case in particular was never designated as an exceptional clearance. Had it been labeled that, it would have been considered a closed case. So, for most intents and purposes, it would have appeared to be a solved case. And the reason that that's relevant is that, A, there are a lot of similar cases that have apparently been closed using exceptional clearance, so it's worth discussing in that context alone. But then, B, I think it's worth asking, how close was this case to being labeled an exceptional clearance and being closed by the Cherokee County Sheriff's Office? The reason, as we heard Kristen Crowley explain that exceptional clearance exists, is to close a case when there are circumstances beyond an officer's control that prevent them being able to make an arrest. And in the records that Kristen was able to get a hold of, the detective on this case was saying things like, I think our suspect has fled the state. I don't think he's going to surface anytime soon. We're not going to be able to bring him in for questioning. And so with all of that going on, I think you have to ask if this case was sort of being nudged in that direction of eventually being labeled an exceptional clearance before Kristen came along and and kind of kickstarted the investigation again.
3: Reed, how does Cherokee County compare to other jurisdictions in Georgia when it comes to this idea of exceptional clearance?
0: Well, Kristen and Eleven Alive requested records from a handful of other departments in Metro Atlanta, and they got data back from a few of them. A couple did say the data would be really costly to get together, that they didn't have complete data for that. But there were three departments in the area that shared their data, and and Atlanta police were one of them. They did clear more cases with arrests than with exceptional clearance but the numbers are not really where you'd want them to be. They still cleared 20% of their rape cases using exceptional clearance over the last six years. Cobb County Police was another one of the departments that that shared their data. They exceptionally cleared 28% of their rape cases compared to an arrest rate in those cases of just 16% in the most recent data. And then Forsyth County was the other one that, that shared their information. And they had the lowest number of exceptional clearances But still, out of 70 rape cases that they reported in recent years, they had 48 that were unsolved and inactive, so presumably not being investigated at all. So the the takeaway from all of that is that this issue of rape cases being shelved and either cleared despite there not being an arrest or just not being investigated while they're technically still considered open, it's not just a Cherokee County problem. And kind of where Kristen landed when we talked about this issue is just that it seems really, really clear that there needs to be more advocacy for survivors of sexual violence. And she's hopeful that, at least in Cherokee County, the steps that the sheriff's office is taking now, or is hopefully taking now, will make a difference because because it's much needed.
3: All right, Reed, thanks for bringing us the story and, and these episodes these past two weeks. And also thanks to Kristen Crowley and the Reveal team at WXIA in Atlanta. True Crime Chronicles comes out every Monday with new episodes. And we'll be back next week with a new case and a new story.